The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. This is part B. What has happened? Procrastination disrupts God's timeline. It's not God's fault that there's not a lot of salvations taking place. It's not God's fault that we live in a lukewarm world. You can't blame God for any of these things. You can't blame God for what's happening to Judge Kavanaugh or the war between the parties in that room. You can't blame God for any of this. We did this to ourselves through procrastinating and not taking immediate orders from our leaders in the church, carrying that baton so that exactly at 7.20, this message could be delivered to someone who's crying and weeping out front of a building or whatever. There may be another baton passing in that process. God uses many to deliver the message. He uses a, another hand to grab that baton to actually massage it into that person's life. I'm just giving you one simple example of one person. And if everything has its perfect time, it wouldn't take much to throw off God's timeline. So the question does remain is why does God tolerate this? Why doesn't he force Christians to stick to his timeline? Because he made a promise, put a rainbow over the earth to remind us of it. That the next time he won't do this to us, we'll do it to ourselves. We will destroy the earth. So every time someone procrastinates and misses the opportunity of the gospel, God steps back. It says, how do you like the results there? How's that working for you? you self-potential leader of you. How's it working? This simple diagram communicates Satan's most dangerous objective for the believer. Procrastination. The primary objective here is this. Indwelling confidence is always active and it's very attentive. Now you guys are probably sick to death of me using examples with my mentor, but I'm sorry because that's all I've got. I have a new mentor on the horizon. I hope he adopts me personally. I have fallen in love with this man. But even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to learn an enormous amount from him due to the wisdom and experience that he has gone through as a leader. But I have heard his heart personally in regard to his faith in Christ Jesus. 
That's who I put my trust in, is when people truly understand the indwelling life of Christ. But with my mentor, I learned a great deal in regard to being attentive. So you've heard me use examples like, I know the way he likes his coffee. I know what kind of soda that he likes, which happens to be the one I adopted. And I will die drinking it. Because he loved it. In fact, I was drinking a different brand of that drink, and I switched to his brand so that I would be drinking the same cold beverage that he does. Is that a wannabe, mama's bee, kissing up kind of leader? Absolutely. You see, I want to be attentive to what kind of cookies he likes, what kind of drinks he likes, what kind of whatever that he likes, because that's where service is. Why would you serve something to someone they hate? That's not service. That's revenge. Do you see how it works? You have to be active and you have to be attentive to find out what these leaders need and want. And it's just kind of a fun thing to know what their favorite noodle is. Their favorite candy. Their favorite salad dressing. That's just kind of fun stuff. The objective is action and attentive. That's the objective. Because guess where I'm going to pass that over since Jesus himself made these comments about what you do unto the least of these, my brethren. You can say it out loud because the podcast people can't hear you. You do unto me. You see, when I jump up and go put coffee in his favorite cup, and I know which one that is too, When you jump up and go put coffee in his cup and put the exact amount of cream that he likes and the right kind of sugar inside that cup and mix it up nicely and test to see if it's hot enough because he just happens to like hot coffee, not lukewarm coffee, and deliver it to him. See, early on when I was in my youth, I would want to get the the response from him like a smile or... Thanks, Steve. Tastes really good. But now it's just a part of my actions of going and sitting down at the conference table. He's first. I'm second. But he also taught me another thing. When I am a leader, I am first. And my subordinate is second. And so forth. And so on. Until the gospel ends up, as I shared with Shannon, session this past week until we could sit here today and discuss the gospel because Timothy got that message of active and attentive to Paul. Didn't replicate it. He lived it. And the gospel stayed alive. There's some truth I'm speaking to you here that might be beyond your ears. Consider it. So the way you act not only demonstrates your confidence, but 
it also confesses where you got it. And if you got your confidence from the world because you studied some books or techniques, that'll wear out. But see, if your confidence comes from Christ's confidence, it'll never wear out. And it'll never fail you. Because their failure is not one of his names. Doesn't exist with Christ. Your ability to communicate your thoughts and your ideas, especially when you're under stress and persecution, needs to come straight from Christ. If they come from your self-life or your self-endurance or your self-effort or your self-strength, in due time it will backfire on you. God will actually promote it. His goal will be to have your self-confidence backfire on you so that you will choose Christ. The world trusts individuals that are calm under fire, persecution. In Christ, in out of Christ. Doesn't make any difference at all. People trust calm. So when God said to David, he wrote it down for us in a song, talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear no, for I am You see, that's simple. That's kindergarten stuff. Don't worry, honey. Daddy's going to be with you. Fear will go away from that child almost instantly. My daddy is going to be with me. There's no reason for me to fear. So what does the enemy do? He bastardizes the leaders of the world today to be horrible fathers. And leaves the wives and the children to defend and fend for themselves. Thus, women become strong and powerful leaders and men become impotent and cowards. No wonder the prophecies talk about it. In the end, there will be three women to one man. There's a fading of what we're talking about. Every indwell believer is a leader, male, female, does not make a difference. Because a woman is woman plus woman equals woman. She was born a woman. When she became born again, she became a woman. Bride of Christ. And when she gets to heaven, she'll be a woman for eternity. See, men have the tough part. They're born man. They become born again women. Bride of Christ. And then when they go on for eternity, they're going to be women. Bride of Christ. We're not going to be gender neutral. That's the whole ploy of the enemy. He's twisting the prophecies up. Is why we have gender issues. That's how simple this is. So men are becoming more and more and more impotent. Allow me to ask you a question. In the end, who is going to rule this world? The Antichrist. Who is this Antichrist? What's his name? Satan. 
Now, Satan has a trinity too, right? Just like God. What's the trinity? Montina, jump in there. You could write a book on this. False prophet. The beast. And and Satan himself. Satan himself is represented as male or female. He is all male. There's only a reference to the he. I'll probably get a couple 602s on that one. Because that's the being they're turning into this bisexual, gender neutral being. He's a hundred percent male masculine dominant. And he'll show himself as that during the tribulation. Now the prophet is a different story. What's the prophet? Male or female? Female. What is she called? The great whore. The prophet is going to run what? Part of the world. Religion. So what has to happen in the world today in order for the world as a whole to receive religion from a woman? Men have to be faded out. Women have to become in primary dominance. Yes, that's 602-292-2982. It's in the Holy Scriptures. The beast is a system. Most refer to it as the economical system. There's more questions over that third of Satan's force than anything else. Because the false prophet's the false prophet. Bible calls her a whore many times from Old Testament through the New Testament. All the way to the very end, in fact. Satan is always referenced as a he. But the beast has become a little more complicated to understand. So that's where the enemy has to take this leadership thing, just so you know that. We go on to say the world trusts individuals that are calm, confident, and steady. Inner, outside of Christ Jesus. People who use natural people skills don't necessarily multiply the gospel. But rather use charisma to build a following. Well, we look around the world today and that's exactly what we see. These charismatic charisma leaders gather billions of dollars, followers, and people throw their money at them like you, you, you sit back and go, how can they can't see this? That this person is just using them. Well, that's how deception works. I think that's why they call it deception. This is it. Charisma does not do anything but gather selfish profit to oneself unless charisma is a result of a zealous Holy Spirit living inside you which is also used 
under the word charisma. Followers don't multiply, they replicate. Here's the advantages of leadership presence. Releasing leadership presence is more than just question of commanding the attention of others. It is establishing the presence of God in the space you're consuming. Here's the seven habits of presence. Number one, Christ's clear thinking and perception. I want you to be thinking of a leader in a room doing these seven things, and you'll see very quickly how Christ can literally take over that room. So Christ's clear thinking and perceptions. Two, demonstrating Christ's courage, conviction, and grace in existing conflict. Three, mental focus on the real task at hand. Thinking about what is being talked about in the room itself. If you're passively sitting back listening to people talk about fruitless things, that's your fault. The presence of God is inside of you, wants to use you to lead in the entire conversations around Christ and his goal, his mission, his objective. Four, releasing the indwelling calm. Christ is always at rest. Five, finding opportunities in chaos. And six, confidence in Christ's view. Now, when a leader walks into the room and is manifesting these points of God's presence, I'm going to listen to this person very carefully. Let me show you this in a pictorial. On the left there, you see this unraveled, multi-colored cords going every which direction. That means ideas that are being thrown around, suggestions that are being thrown around, and emotions that are getting heated because their ideas aren't being accepted or whatever the case may be. Basically, chaos is breaking out. So what a confident leader does is gathers all of this tangled stuff, high emotion, all this stuff that is going on around them, and pulling it together into one bright line life message. Pulling it within their own thinking and processing so that it is under one illumined idea of the Holy Spirit. That is a confident, indwelt, Christ is life leader. The scripture says, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to beg you to do something. What's it say? Order. Order you to do what is proper. That's the end goal of this leader in this room. This leader has already demonstrated the confidence of Christ. Now the next thing that has to happen because of this confidence is start ordering the people around. Now you can do that in a rude way. But if you read on the rest of this passage, it talks about appealing to the people. 
But he's saying, I have the right to order you, but I have to appeal to you. Well, I say, why? Why, why appeal? Well, because of humanity. If you don't treat them like they're something, they're not going to help you. But he's saying he has the right and prerogative and confidence through Christ Jesus to order us to do what is proper. And that's a key foundational truth we need to remember before we start appealing too much. Because appealing puts the decision in the other person's mind. When in reality, that doesn't exist. Christ doesn't appeal to me. He mandates me through the laws and commands of his Father. But he mixes so much of his love in there, I hardly know he's ordering me. Because I want to respond before he asks. Do you get it? True love wants to serve the coffee before it's asked of you. So when my mentor is sitting at the corner of the table, and I see his eyes looking around at the table, I know he's looking at the coffee cups. So guess what I do? I can even tell you of several occasions that the board had put responsibility on me to talk and answer some kind of questions they were giving me, and I kept talking as I got up from my chair and I grabbed my mentor's coffee cup, which was close by the conference table, filled the coffee up while I'm talking, answering the questions of the board, putting in the cream, the proper kind of sugar, mixing it up, seeing how hot it is, if not, microwave it real quick, and then bring it back to them all the whole time answering their questions. That's life. That's how it should be with Christ. Whatever it is you're doing, just keep on doing it. Live, live out life. But continue to be watching carefully for what your leader is seeking. Where's my coffee? How come no one poured me a second cup? You see? Be there before they open their mouth. That's how I want my relationship with Christ. I want to be there before he has to do the ordering. So I say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this email? When he would have ordered me what to do anyway. I think he enjoys us being there before he asks. I really do. I know I do as a leader. I have a comment. Okay. Let me get the uh, microphone to you. I don't know where our mic guy went. I think you're out of line, and I believe you are a false prophet. Really? False teacher. So you believe I'm out of line, and I am a false teacher? Yes. Could I ask you a couple questions? All right. Do you believe that God is a God of order? Yes. Do you believe that God gave us the Holy Scriptures? Yes. 
to reveal what that order is. So if he says in Matthew 18 that you're supposed to go to a brother privately before you bring it before the church, I don't know. You don't know if that's the truth or not? Yes. So if you believe that God is a God of order and you believe that the Holy Scriptures were given to us to reveal what that order is, and in Matthew 18 it says that God wants people to go to these leaders privately before they bring it before the church. Tonight you're bringing it before the church. Are you out of line here? I'm not going to answer that. You're not going to answer that. Well, here's what I would challenge you to do. Is to contact me. We'll set up a private time where we can just get together. You can share whatever this concern is that you have about me being a false teacher and being out of line, and I'll be more than willing to talk to you about it. Would that be okay? Yes. All right. That was a role play, and she gets a book tonight. (laughs) Well done, Missy. Thank you. Now, I want to show you something here. I oftentimes hope that that kind of situation would actually happen. Because when someone like that, whether it's a brother or sister, mother or father, a friend, an enemy, throws something out like that, please tell me what the typical thing a person would do. Well, you're entitled to your own opinion. So they take on the insult. What do you mean by false prophet? What do you mean by false teacher? What do you mean by being out of line? How am I out of line? You see what I mean? That could go on for six minutes. Wrong. Six hours. One of my favorite worldview teachers, I love watching his audience discussion time. Because he uses this very technique. The one I watched this week, there was an atheist that was basically deducing him as a teacher. This kid would not deviate from his point. And so since there was no dialogue going but accusation going, he closes it off by this scripture and says, I will give you a free book too. To help you understand the war that many people have between atheism and God. Do you think the kid accepted it? No, he did not. He said, I will even set up personal time right after this conference for us to sit down and talk. So here's what the deal is. A quality leader is not going to go after the issues. They are listening to the indwelling spirit and the spirit is speaking to them saying, this person is trying to function outside of my revealed order in the scriptures. That's what you stick to. They could get hostile. They could get 
belligerent. They could start hollering. They could do whatever it is they want, but you stick to the biblical mandate on how to handle the situation. That's a quality crisis life leader. So this next diagram is actually revealing the dynamics of the role play. Number one, releasing Christ's grace under fire is that you don't have to get upset if this person is attacking you because they're attacking Christ. Two, releasing Christ's decisiveness with that person or in the group or in a large audience. It doesn't make any difference. Three, speaking his truth as it is being spoken to you. That takes instant taking the baton from Christ. Instantly. There's no delay and there's no procrastination. If you're finding yourself getting caught up in an argument, you procrastinated. If you find yourself debating and wrangling about words, it's a confession you procrastinated. You're not going to hear Christ. There is no way Jesus Christ will join you in a debate. Christ's life leaders don't debate. They use the content of the person to lead them to the scriptures and to the life of Jesus Christ. There is no other objective. He is the source. He is the life. He is the foundation. You replicating Christ's words is going to create more of an argument. Key piece. Number four, using human emotion actually to promote Christ's objective. So they're getting upset more and more and you're not. An audience listening and watching that is going to come to what kind of conclusion? The group will lean toward the calm. It's the way it works. Thus leaning toward the life of Christ. Finally, releasing, number five, releasing the authentic life of Christ in that confidence, and that's the end result. That's basically what ends up happening. So the keys to community. Effective communication enables you to express your ideas and engage with people or community. The way you speak is oftentimes what really is what they're attracted to. If you're a boring speaker, for example, the first rule of thumb that I listen for that I can't listen is what immediately tells me what category I should put the person in in this discussion. If they're not speaking with confidence in a tone that the entire room could hear if necessary, and they're actually going the opposite direction where they're coming. It's almost like they've got secrets inside them. That's what it confesses. Someone who talks quietly oftentimes is communicating, I'm a person of secrets. But someone who is loud and bold and confident in what they're saying, they're not embarrassed to speak their mind. Is that true? Keep that in mind as we go through the communication part of our leadership series. That is one of the main points, and that is speak 
as if you really believe what you're saying. What? What? Well, you know, so, yeah. Say it! What are you saying? Say it! Now, you don't have to yell it, unless you're a prophet. But say it! Speak up! Christ is not embarrassed to speak through you. It's a key. A golden one at that. Plus, the way you speak is what people are really attracted to initially. It's like a book, a cover. I understand how important covers are to books. If you don't catch their attention through the cover, it's over. If you just have this white cover with a few small print, Words on it, you know, you say, but the goods are on the inside. Well, I wonder how many people are going to pick that one up. So how you dress, the way you sound, how loud you are, how confident you are, all those things matter. It's the cover of your life. Number one, releasing Christ's speaking skills. If Christ knows, and he does, by the way, knows that I have a hearing problem. Now, I can tell you exactly how God talks to me through Christ. Even in a conscious voice, that still, small voice, the way God speaks to me is in the language i got to hear it. Loud, straightforward, and clear. And a lot of these people who run around saying that Jesus was holding them and cuddling them and whispering sweet nothings in their ear, I do not get those people. <laughs> and I know, I know Christ does speak that language to, to many. But I'm just telling you for myself, Jesus just said it. And he does. Pick up your pen, Stephen. Write this, Stephen. My redeemed. Thus says the Lord thy God. I mean, you can look at my journal. Thus says the Lord thy God. Stephen, be of good courage and hope. That's how I like it. Whereas the next person could be I love you, 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 Stephen. <laughs> With a heart. Now, if I, I do hear God through Christ Jesus say, I love you, Stephen, although he calls me Stephen the Redeemed, and it feels great. But, you know, after the first I love you, it's just pointless to me. It's just pointless. To hear I love you, Stephen, I go, yeah, baby. But to hear I love you, Stephen, do you you know I love you, Stephen? Stephen, I love you. I would be very quick to come back to the Lord and say, I got it. What do you want me to do? Because prophets are people of action. Mercy people are could you love that spot right there? 
little bit to the left. That's right. Oh, yeah. For an hour. And I'm like, oh, man. I, you, Lord, you know what I could have got done this past hour? Everyone's different. Christ knows our language. Two, asserting Christ's control over the room. There's nothing wrong with that. I remember after a presidential meeting in Washington, D.C. I was just scared, spitless, sitting at that oval table. I was. I can't even describe to you how fearful I was. And I had the chair to explain what the faith-based initiative was with this plan, which we're now using, you know, with our ministry, we were to be using as a nation. I fumbled through the words and the diagrams and the, you know, it just barely got it out. Nikki Cruz's uh, speaker representative pulled me aside after the meeting and he says, that meeting belonged to you. All of us others were there to support you and what you were supposed to deliver. And you dropped the ball. And he said, do not be afraid. You are an elder in the church worldwide not just in your local fellowship. You are a leader among leaders and God requires the government to listen to spiritual leaders. I can name you president after president after president that had a spiritual leader at their side before they made a final decision on policies. And Billy Graham played that role with many presidents and now Franklin is. It's what we do. But I didn't get it. I was afraid of the people. The chairs, the table, the room. And God's like, really? Fear will bind us from releasing Christ's confidence. Immediately. He owns the room and the table and the chairs, and the people sitting in it. Number four, honoring the code of appearance. Dress for the press. And boy, do Jane and I know that game. Suits got to match the meeting. You have to ask. The president's going to be wearing a red tie. Blue tie, blue suit, gray suit, black suit. Do we wear the long coats that drape the ground? Are we into the short ones today? It's called protocol. They had to send me to protocol training in D.C. because I was so unfit to represent the White House. I learned a lot. 
And I boiled it down into one statement, which I have used since that day, is dress for the press. Know your environment. Be all things to all people. You don't have to adopt their beliefs. You are in Rome, you dress like the Romans. The red tie is the order of the day today. Although when it comes to the president, if he's in a red tie, you're supposed to be in a pale blue tie because you don't want to rise up. Those are protocol rules that are healthy to know. Just common sense dress for the press. So this lackadaisy, slothful look that seems to be going around, those are our next presidents. Those are our next church leaders. Although our church leaders today do preach in blue jeans. My wife has encouraged me on many occasions, why don't you just preach in blue jeans? It is not going to happen. Unless we're at a picnic. That's the occasion for blue jeans. You see what I'm saying? But you don't have to go to the other extreme and have the three-piece suit and all you guys are in blue jeans and t-shirts. That's kind of ridiculous. That's not dressing for the press. What is the press expecting? And how will they be showing up to respect you as the leader? Then remember, people do judge a book by its cover. It's true. Number six, refuse the temptation of over-relaxed presence. Not just your dress, but you're just too casual and you're talking or whatever. Here's our identity matter statement. By releasing the main keys in Gervatas behavior, communication in community with appearance, you can acquire the skills you need to polish your look, release Christ's confidence, and connect with the people in a way that will increase their respect for you, your leadership abilities, and Christ himself. In spite of potential persecution, believe me, it's going to come. So in spite of potential persecution under stress, hold to a tone of confidence, walk in the room knowing Christ owns all that is within it, and always hold your head up toward heaven when chaos seems to rule the day. Basics are dominate the conversation through making use of ideas suggestions, and emotions represented within the room. Now, that's easy to put on one slide. But as we start doing these dialogues and skits here in the near future, you will see how difficult it is. Even in a role-play setting, being put on the spot to speak, how difficult this is for people. Now, someone who hams it up like I like it, and that's why I picked Missy. She was guaranteed free book. (laughs) Because she likes to ham it up. But see, not everyone has that personality. And it's a little more difficult. But my goal is to put you under pressure. 
to test you. So to find out if you could be trusted to be sent anywhere. But as it sits right now, I don't trust my dog to anyone, let alone my family, let alone my treasures of ministry, let alone my whatever, unless I can say what Paul has said. He's been tested and proven to be diligent. Then Paul sends a message. You go read all of his letters. You'll find it. Then Paul makes these statements. Listen to him. I have confidence in him. Source approving. He's been tested and he's proven diligent. Listen to him. And that's why we're meeting tonight. Because Timothy listened and obeyed. You'll even find some interesting little fun passages as you study those letters of Paul asking Timothy to go make sure he remembered his cloak he left behind in Thessalonia or whatever. And remember his books and remember his parchment paper. Simple, tiny, little, intimate things that don't seem to matter in Scripture. But Timothy got it. Paul wants his cloak. Paul wants his books. Paul wants his own parchment paper. Which we happen to devote ourselves to in Bible study. Think about that. Everything has a perfect time. Even getting your leader's cloak, cup of coffee. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.